G'day everyone and welcome to another Bloody Movie Podcast. I'm Sean Coates. Thanks very much for listening in today to this very special episode. And I know I say that every episode is special, but I actually mean it this time. Because for the last few weeks, I have been covering the Fantasia Film Festival over at moviebabble.com. Normally, Fantasia Film Festival is a Canadian festival that takes place in Montreal. And it's still a Canadian festival, obviously. But because of COVID-19, they've gone virtual this year and have thrown the festival open to international press like myself, and Fantasia have very kindly given me the opportunity to review a number of the films of the festival. I think I saw 10 in total, and, you know, just let me cover the festival all the way back here in Stage 4 Lockdown from Melbourne, Australia. It has been incredible. They have done a fantastic job with this festival, and I've got to see some really awesome films, three of which I already have reviews for up on Movie Babble. You can read my review for The Feels Good Man, which is one of my favourite movies of the year. It's a documentary on Pepe the Frog. Uh, yes, the meme, Pepe the Frog, and how that basically evolved from just this cute, innocent cartoon character to a mascot of the alt-right. Um, it's an incredible, incredible film. One of the best films of the year. You can read that on Movie Babble. You can also read my review of the Old Man movie, which is just this absolutely bonkers um, Estonian stop-motion animation film that just gets crazier and crazier by the second. It's just completely, absolutely ridiculous and all the better for it. You can read my review for that. And also, Crazy Samurai Musashi, um, which is a Japanese film, a Japanese samurai film about the legendary Miyamoto Musashi. Uh, unfortunately, it was a bit of a misfire, but is still not without moments of brilliance. Uh, Musashi is single-handedly goes up against nearly 600 opponents, all in a single take that lasts 77 minutes. Audacious experiment that doesn't quite work out, but there's still a lot that can be that can be found in that film. A lot of really great things that can be found in that film. You can find my reviews and read them all on moviebabble.com right now. But over here on Another Bloody Movie podcast, we have a special interview with the director of one of the films at Fantasia Film Festival and one of my favourites, Survival Skills, Quinn Armstrong uh, yesterday joined me all the way from Seattle in the US and uh, we in, I, I had a chat to him about his film Survival Skills. The synopsis for Survival Skills on the Fantasia website reads as such. Welcome cadets to Survival Skills, a Survival Solutions production. Today, along with Fresh Face Cop Jim, played by Vayu O'Donnell, You'll learn all the skills you need to survive in the modern police force of the 1980s. See how Jim handles his first 911 call out. Observe his professional interactions with fellow Middletown police officers. Note Jim's sunny disposition, his willingness to go the extra mile to assist those in need, and stare in horror as his drive to solve problems at any cost sends a delicate situation careening, careening hopelessly out of control. Don't touch that tracking dial, folks. This videotape is under the watchful eye of the omniscient and gravelly voiced narrator, played by Stacey Keach. Nothing could go wrong. And if it does, it's only a video. Right? Writer-director Quinn Armstrong's feature debut, expanded from his 2017 short of the same name, is simultaneously a throwback to a bygone age and very much a film for today. Drawing from the wild VHS heyday of law enforcement training videos like Surviving Edged Weapons, Satanic Ritual Abuse, and Reality Check, Armstrong builds a comedically wholesome world of scanlines, Americana, and an educational film naivete 
before shattering it with the grim reality of domestic violence. As the police training construct begins to unravel, so too does Officer Jim's smiling facade, his hell-bent protectiveness and limited methods only escalating a situation he's ill-equipped to handle. In a time when police conduct and training take centre stage, survival skills casts a bleakly satirical light on the disasters that can occur when simplistic training, complex ethics and the dark side of human nature all collide. Be safe out there, rookies. Very uh, creative description of that film and everything in there, especially about how this film sets you up for something and then sort of betrays you in a way where while I was watching the film especially, like I had no idea what to feel about it because I was very much expecting this sort of like, especially with the whole aesthetic and like with especially like the register that I just like looking at all the promotional material for this film, I was expecting somewhere along the lines of like this very tongue-in-cheek sort of parodic like everything is terrible meets Adult Swim Tim and Eric sort of like comedy and while the film does have that it does turn into something very very different and I absolutely love this film and uh, um, you're going to hear more about my love for the film and also how just the incredible effort and detail that went into making it in my chat with Quinn Armstrong that you're about to hear right now uh, this is honestly one of the best interviews I've ever done, and I'm really proud of it, and I hope you enjoy it, guys. Here is my chat with Quinn Armstrong, the writer-director of Survival Skills. Enjoy. I'm here with the director of Survival Skills, Quinn Armstrong, joining me over Zoom all the way from Seattle, 17 hours away. It's actually been difficult for us to try and uh, organize this interview because of that, but we're here now, and thanks very much, Quinn, for joining me. No worries. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so just before, we record, just before we hit record, uh, we were talking about life under COVID, especially, and the comparisons between America and Australia at the moment. Um, your life, how your life is going particularly under COVID, especially as a creative, how have you dealt with it? Have you been more productive? Are you procrastinating? Like, has it stifled or stimulated both your creativity and work ethic? Well, I think, um, like, it's, as far as day-to-day -day stuff, it's, if you hadn't told me, I might not have noticed for a while that stuff was happening. I I spend a, you know most of my time uh, it, inside working on stuff. Um, the people listening can't see me, but you can see me, and you can see how pale I am, <laughs> and you can see you can get a sense of how little I go outside. Um, but yeah, it's been. I mean, it's been fine for that. I'm very lucky. I have my own space. I have, you know, my cats here. I have my uh, editing set up so I can work on stuff. So in that sense, it's been, it's been really nice. It's interesting thinking about what this is going to mean in terms of people who are making stuff right now, like what the influence of COVID, I, I feel like the influence of COVID as an idea is going to be more stifling than COVID itself is for creative people. Um, I've been talking to friends who are pitching tons of like plague TV shows and plague movies and all this stuff. And I just, uh, I just, it's just a wave of, of ideas that are just pointing out obvious things that are happening with regards to the plague right now. So I feel like in that sense, it's a little, it's a little cycling, but it's been, it's been fine for me. I've been, I've been catching up on movie watching and all that stuff. Oh, fantastic. And also with that um, film festival have gone online, which is why I'm talking to you today. Uh, your film Survival Skills is playing at uh, Fantasia. Um, so this film began as a short. Um, talk a little bit about how it's developed from a short and into the feature that's screening now at Fantasia. Well, we, uh, 
so the the feature actually kind of predates the short as an idea. Um, oh, okay. The short made largely it was made as sort of a proof of concept. It was made uh, to attract funding and for investors, but it was also largely made to get Stacy Keach on board. Um, we approached Stacy. Uh, essentially, what what I did is we didn't have money to like go through a whole casting process and you know go out to Hollywood and go out to the agencies and do the whole thing. So I paid a casting director 300 bucks for just the only thing was to get a letter to Stacy's manager and make sure he reads it. That was it. Uh, and the letter was just about, um, I had seen Stacy in a play at the Lincoln Center in New York uh, called Other Desert Cities that I had also worked on in Seattle when it was in development. I used to be a stage actor for a long time. And I sort of talked about the similarities between that character, which was this sort of Reagan stand-in, older actor kind of guy, and the chief in, in this movie. And uh, I sent the letter and heard nothing. And then maybe a month later, his manager was like, send us the script. That was, that was the entire email was just send us the script. Send wasn't <laughs> even capitalized. It was, it was very toss up. And we sent him the script and then we heard nothing. And then three months later, we just got a single sentence back again that was Stacy likes it. And we were like, what does that mean? <laughs> Will he do it? <laughs> um, but you know, he, he got on board and he and I talked and we had a great time. Um, but yeah, so like the, the short of it all and for the people who uh, are watching through Fantasia, the short is available um, as a, as bonus content and you can you can really see the short was a learning process for us uh particularly with regards to like the vhs effect that we used in the short it's a digital effect uh and one of the things we learned is that we can't use a digital effect it just doesn't uh, look as good so uh the entire movie um is you know for people who might not know the entire movie is presented as a mid-80s police training video and the Authenticity is really important because I, I don't want to, you know, give too much away, but we moved past the training video thing pretty quick. Um, it moves on to some other content, like it becomes something else pretty quickly. And so we Definitely. had to establish authenticity really fast. Uh, so that was one reason that we wanted to do the VHS effect is just because it looks correct. It looks sort of analog and warmer and that sort of thing. The other reason was uh, it creates obstacles for the use of like static and tape wrinkles as a storytelling device. If I'm using, if I'm going digital, then I can, I can tell the effects artist or I can do it myself exactly what static, exactly where it goes, exactly what tape wrinkle at what rate goes down the screen. But what we did instead is we shot the movie digitally. We cut it digitally. And then we took the final movie and put it on VHS. Uh, and I got, I bought every single VH, VCR <laughs> in the greater Los Angeles area from every Goodwill and thrift store there was. I had about 40 to 50 of them in my apartment. At wow. Uh, and put the movie on dozens of VHS tapes. And then what I did is I would take the VCRs pop the top off, un, you know, unscrew the thing, pop the top off, put the tape in, and then I used magnets, knives, and fire to uh, create the different effects. 
And what that did, um, oh, hi, my cat is joining us. Um, <laughs> what that did is it meant that I had limited control. Uh, things happened that I, that I could not uh, anticipate. I had, uh, I had to deal with the physical reality of the medium, which is really important, I think, for something like this. I don't know if you, there, there's a moment, you may not remember it, but there's a big sort of experimental breakdown, what we call the, the trial scene. Um, uh, there's tons of static, Stacy is, is yelling, there's all this stuff. And then that ends and there's this shot of Jim up against a window that's sort of blown out that stutters and then splits into two, uh, where his head is bisected and, and, and flipped. It's hard to explain, but that I, moment- I don't remember that. I don't remember it's that. It's one of my Sorry. favorite moments in the movie and it happened totally accidentally. Uh, there's a point where the, uh, there's a character who is a sort of abused housewife, has a gray uh, line across her mouth um, while she's being like harangued in court. Totally accidental. Don't know how that happened. Happy uh, accident? But oh my God, such a happy accident. <laughs> you know, such like a, if, if I had done that myself on purpose, it would have looked very like, I am making a statement. Yeah, but like it's it, overblown, now. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I really like the challenge of dealing with the medium itself and you know this is there's such a long tradition of that in the manipulation of film with people like Stan Brakhage and Peter Sherkowski and, and all that stuff but less so with the intentional manipulation of uh, VHS. Yeah, that's that a very is... long and windy answer. No that's fine that, I loved every second of that I'm like that's why I wasn't quite I was fairly quiet that entire time because I was just like I wanted to know more like that is fascinating like because I thought that like like I remember you saying in an interview or maybe even on like the Fantasia Discord server saying that you did that all, uh, you know, all, did that all a analog. And I was just, you know, fascinated by the, even how you would do that. Like that is some dedication right there. And I absolutely love that. Thanks for sharing that. It's a complicated process. I could repair a VCR now. Like I, I, could, I could put a VCR together. I'm very confident mm -hmm. about that. Not yeah. a useful skill these days though. No. Well, I, they might become retro at some point. Yeah, there's there's sort of it's it's happening a little bit now. Mm. Uh, like I I've, uh, I've been trying to find good. one of those uh, split ones with the DVD and the VCR for like years now. Like I've been trying to find like you know through like op shops and thrift shops, you know, trying to find those and no luck so far. If if only you had uh, contacted me about a year and a half ago, <laughs> I had a ton of them. What did you do with all of them, by the way? Just give them back to. Well, the thing is, the reason I needed so many is that the magnets, so the, there's a, a part of it called the drum head, which is what the, the tape passes through, and that's where the optical housing is. The drum head gets knocked off balance by the magnets over time, and it becomes un, unwatchable. It just, it's just pure static. And so I could only work with a VCR for about 30 minutes before it became useless um, forever. You know, and oh, so geez. I I destroyed all of them. <laughs> there was a big okay. stack of mangled metal, just like a tower in my apartment um, that entire time. Uh, but yeah, they were. The, I I I wish I could have recycled them and been responsible. But no, I've I wrecked those. 
Oh, oh well, it's, it's for, for, for the greater good of your art form. So, yes. you know, it's justified. <laughs> it's absolutely justified. But to cycle back to something you said a long time ago earlier there, you were saying that like it's framed as sort of like this 80s police training video and it quickly become, moves on from something like that. And I love how Stacey Keach's character in the film is like trying to get it back on track for like pretty much the rest of the film. Um, how much, how many like police training videos did you have to watch as research? And did you talk to any, did you talk to any people that like made these sort of videos to get like tips on how to film it? And were they all from the eighties or did you look at ones that were older or perhaps even more contemporary? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have watched many. Um, there's a lot you can find online. Um, and once I sort of went through those, I was contacting local police departments um, and I was, you know, I was going on ride-alongs with the cops anyway and, and all that stuff. We didn't really reach out to the people who made them, uh, first of all, because I, I worried that they would be insulted yeah. by what we were going to do. It's, it's kind of, it's an interesting challenge doing a parody of something that is so stylistically specific uh, and that is not good in its original form, really. It's not, like, entertaining in, in its original form. You know, if you're doing like Blazing Saddles, the Westerns that Blazing Saddles is talking about are usually pretty entertaining in their original form. Uh, that is not the case with these training videos. And yeah, so, I'm, I'm taking a guess that they're probably horrifying or like cringeworthy. They are, well, there's, there's levels to it. Um, and it actually kind of mirrors what happens in the movie because you start watching these training videos. Um, the one that, that started all this is one called Surviving Edged Weapons, which was made in 88, I think, uh, and is just so bonkers. It's famously bonkers um, and way weirder than survival skills actually is. And, we, you know, we started, I started watching that. There's one called The Law Enforcement Guide to Satanic Cults. This, most of them are from the 80s because that period had such a specific paranoia to it in, in American history, that sort of Reagan era. Um, you know, it mirrors the sort of historical moment that America is in right now, where it's a cluster of uh, powerful interests are trying to maintain something that is changing. Uh, right. And there's a there's an enormous amount of fear in these police training videos, particularly around like the satanic panic of the 80s and uh, uh, stuff like that. So you, you watched you, par you parodied brilliantly in your film, by the way. <laughs> we had to put a little something in there. You can't have an '80s thing without a little <laughs> bit of satanic panic. But you watch them, and you're like, "Oh my god, this is so silly!" The sort of like outmoded attitudes. This all is. And then once you get sort of numb to the joke of it all, you start paying attention to what's underneath it, and the sort of racism and xenophobia, and you start you can start tracking it to the present day. It's, uh, there's a guy named uh, Dave Grossman who has taught at hundreds of police academies. He's taught at the FBI, he's a very advanced speaker. He has a philosophy that's called killology, which is basically what he, his, his philosophy is a police officer should be trained psychologically to be able to kill someone quickly and not feel bad about it. Um, he is ex-military, surprise, surprise, uh, and he 
you, you know, you watch his videos, you can see him online, you can, all the, all the sort of trainings he's done. And it's the exact same attitude. It's the same sort of like fear mongering. It's the cops versus society. And uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording about like the current sort of unrest in, I mean, current unrest, that's such a euphemism, <laughs> the protests against systemic racism that are happening in the United States. Uh, and the way that the cops are being so defensive and so refusing to admit any fault and refusing to give an inch, and it makes no sense until you start digging into how they're trained. And they're trained that it's us, the thin blue line, are you know, us brothers in arms against them. And we have to be on each other's side or they're, you know, they're gonna come and, and you know, if you're walking around on patrol, you could be shot at any moment and all this sort of alarmist stuff. Once I started learning about that, their behavior makes a lot more sense to me. Um, but to get back to your actual question, <laughs> um, no, no, that's fine. That tangent is fine. And that's another question I have next. So just, just continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's all right. If you, if you're going to stop me going on tangents, I would need some sort of shock collar. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a habit. Um, but the, uh, you're asking about the train videos and all that stuff we've seen. I, I have seen, I would say just shy of probably a hundred training videos from different eras, uh, different lengths. There's, you know, and there are some that are actually good, you know, that are like how to de like stuff on community policing and how to de-escalate situations and that sort of thing. But the vast majority of them are extremely violent, um, graphically violent. They they often play more like you know movies like like movies from the Death Wish series. That sort of like seventies oh, grind kind of vibe, um, and. And I don't know, it sort of, it simultaneously makes me more and less uh, sympathetic to cops. Because on the one hand, I'm like, oh, God, you must be so scared all the time, if that's what you believe. But on the other hand, I'm like, no one's, you know, no one's putting a gun to your head. You're putting the gun to people's heads. But mm. yeah, so we watched a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I well, I guess... I guess that sort of leads into what you're saying about police there. Um, did that make it especially with as we said, what's going on now, but it's been happening a lot longer then, uh, especially your film having a police officer as, I guess, the protagonist. I was reading another interview that you did that saying that, like, when, when uh, you just got accepted into Fantasia was right around when uh, George Floyd was killed and the protests really started to escalate and, and, you know, the police brutality really, really started to get to a really horrifying degree. Uh, you were thinking about pulling the film. Uh, how do you feel about it now? like in, in terms of that? Well, I, so yeah, around, around that time, um, we were accepted right around the time George Floyd was murdered. And yeah, I, my immediate thing was like, we can't show this movie. We can't like, you know, this is not what, this is not what the conversation is right now. I, I've never felt that the movie is uh, apologetic to cops. Um, in fact, I think the movie is a lot harsher on cops than a movie that was simply like, here's an example of bad cops, because we know, we know uh, that story. Yeah, uh, totally agree. But I, I felt like this is, you know, this is sort of like a deconstruction of training. It's a more kind of nuanced conversation to have that is just when people are hurting, 
it's not the moment to come to them and be like, let's, hey, well, let's calm down and let's have like a conversation about the nuances of this. That was not the, the voice that was necessary. However, my producers uh, kind of tossed me off, off the cliff uh, with that one because I think there are some things in the movie that people may not know about. I think it'll, it may help people think uh, about uh, the police in a different way. Um, we have, you know, there have been some folks who uh, have said this is, this is not the moment for this movie, uh, who have felt that it is, in presenting a quote-unquote good cop, um, it is not sort of in tune with what's, what's happening right now. But the vast majority of people have kind of got where I feel the movie is coming from, which is like not even, not even a perfect man, not even a per morally perfect human can thrive and can do the right thing in this in this situation um and when i was when i was freaking out that was main like when i look back at it i, I kind of cringe because that was mainly me trying to like i don't want to be seen as a bad guy i don't want to be seen as an apologist for cops and, and yeah no, no. completely understandable um but i'm glad i'm i'm glad it's out there you know there's some stuff in it uh uh, someone was was talking about it uh, online, I think maybe on on the Fantasia uh, Facebook page or something like that, and was there's there's a line in it that says uh, the mark of a true cop is that he never makes the same mistake three times. Right. Which when we shot it, that was a gag, you know. That's like yeah. a you know that's a funny phrasing thing, that sort of thing. But now it's it is still a gag and it still works, but it's um, it's taken on a new. I mean, there's lines in it that feel so on the nose. Like, I'm kind of glad that that it's a it's of its own time. It's you know made it's it was made before all this happened. Because there's there's a critical line in the movie where uh, a character says to another character that uniform doesn't give you the right to kill whoever you want. In the context of you know again the murder of George Floyd, Jacob Blaker, and you know and these guys, that's a thuddingly obvious line. That's a thuddingly on the nose line. But coming as it does from sort of the old world, uh, I, I, there are things I appreciate in the movie more now. Um, and and I'm, glad, I'm glad it's out. And it's, I mean, honestly, it's been <laughs> received so well. <laughs> I feel like I'm knocking on wood and all that sort of thing. And, you know, Fantasia audiences are different from general audiences i totally get that but it's been people seem to even the people who haven't liked it as much are engaging with it with an open mind and that is the most gratifying thing in in the world to me sorry i agree to your point where your film really strikes to the heart of like you know even this cop that really wants to do good he can't because of the system that keep that like caught of hope like is literally i'm phrasing it in a bad way you phrased it better but i completely agree with your point there but yeah, like you're saying, the Fantasia audience is much more different because Fantasia is a specifically a genre festival. Do you think that uh, survival skills would have been received differently, say, had it played at somewhere like TIFF or, or like Telluride or somewhere like that? I'm, I don't know that it would have been received massively differently at TIFF or, or Telluride. I mean, I, certainly there would be some, a different kind of scrutiny on it. I think the big difference uh, is how it would be received at a festival versus how it would be received in a general release. Um, 
and and I'm preparing everyone for that as best I can. All the you know because all the actors are psyched and everything's going well and it's great. And I keep being like, okay, but when this goes out into the world, just just know that it's not going to be like that. There will be people who love it, but there are going to be some people who hate it. And that's good. You know, that's like this movie is insanely aggressive as a as a work of 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 art just in the way it's laid out it promises you something and it lies to you over and over and over again until you're somewhere that you did not sign up for (laughs) (laughs) so i i'm i'm okay with that but it's definitely i don't know i mean like it would have been fascinating to see this play live now um like in a crowd now which obviously is not happening in uh stateside at, at any rate um because i'm very i'm i i really don't know how festival different festival audiences would take it I'm, I'm hoping we'll have a chance to find out more yeah i hope so too and uh hudson sawada if you're listening to this uh please try and get this for fantastic film festival australia please i beg you that would be amazing oh, hudson has been has been in touch with us i think also i think chris told Hudson to get in touch with us. <laughs> Amazing. Fantastic. Um, but you, what you were saying there, I definitely had that experience while watching it because I guess maybe just because just from the concept and from the poster, I don't think I saw the trailer, but just, I imagined like, okay, this is just kind of going to be like this really absurdist, like sort of everything is terrible meets Tim and Eric sort of like parodic pastiche of like, you know, like training videos from the eighties for police. But then when the film diverts from that, like, you do kind of feel betrayed by that. But then when you get time to think on that, you, like, you've done an incredible job with the film. But what we were saying, you, you've played this at a regular festival at CineQuest, which is how uh, we have a mutual friend in the great Chris Elena, who I've had on this podcast before, uh, to his film Audio Guide, which screened before uh, Survival Skills at uh, CineQuest. Uh, how has the difference between, like, I guess, the interaction with both, like, I guess, with audiences, like, interaction with audience and then also audiences' reactions compared to a more traditional film festival, like a physical film festival and the online sphere, especially with Fantasia? You've been quite active on the Discord servers where, like, you know, press and industry and also, like, just general audiences can go and interact. Like, how has it been? It's interesting. Um, I think... I, I was talking a little bit about this earlier, but Cinequest, <laughs> Chris and I were at Cinequest when the world was falling apart. Um, and Cinequest got cut in half. We only had two screenings. We were supposed to have four. It got shut down halfway through. Um, and so there was a lot of, everybody's minds were kind of elsewhere. Um, it was interesting seeing it with an audience. Um, I am one of my, like prime artistic impulses is sadism. Um, it is, that is something that I lean into pretty hard in this movie as well. And you can really feel that when you're with an audience. There is a uh, very long, unbroken take in one of the scenes that is a litany of horrible things happening to a young girl. Um, it's, uh, it is a, an excruciating shot that was designed who have nothing interesting in it. Nothing but the two actors sitting at a table across from each other talking um, to force you to deal with, you know, what was happening. And those, in both of the screenings, you could have, that was my favorite moment because you could have heard a pin drop. 
Uh, and so that was a huge reward uh, for being at a physical festival. On the other hand, Fantasia, first of all, has done an amazing job uh, with a virtual festival. We've been to a couple others, and they're all sort of different, different in how they're dealing with it. Fantasia has done great. Fantasia is also just a very different festival than, than CineQuest to begin with. But something that has been great about uh, Fantasia is because we've been pushed to interact with people online now. You know, that's the only, it used to be, you know, you go to a film festival, you meet other filmmakers, you meet, you know, people who watch, who watch the movie at the bar afterwards. Now, I'm, you know, I'm running around, I'm on the Discord server dropping like little deleted scenes and stuff to try to like get people interested and, and communicating with people that way. We're on Facebook, we're on social media, which is really not something I usually enjoy. Um, and, and it allows a different kind of communication, especially if like me, you're kind of introverted in group settings. I have a hard time at like, you know, bars and stuff like going up to meet somebody that's that's just tough for me so in a way this has been really great uh, it's also allowed me to see a lot more of the movies uh, and it's a very strong slate this year um, I think it's it's no movie has given me exactly what I thought it would uh, which is which is odd in in a festival that's so big I think like with any industry, like with anything that we're doing now, some of this virtual stuff is going to stick with us. Um, and some of it, you know, will go by the wayside as it should. But yeah, it's so hard to tell, like to say which you would prefer, because I have so loved Fantasia this year. Um, I feel like it's really, it's, it's survival skills home. Um, and I hope for me that, you know, it's, it's, it's my home for years to come. We're uh, starting pre-production on the next feature pretty soon. And uh, I'm, we're specifically trying to schedule it so that we can get it done in time for next year's Fantasia. Uh, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sanguine about virtual festivals now just because I love Fantasia so much, really. Yeah, I think virtual festivals, I mean, Fantasia have done an incredible job. And also I'm very thankful of Fantasia because had it not gone online this year, there is no way I would have been able to cover it and see your film yeah. and talk to you today. Yeah, that's it. And that's a great, I mean, they're try they have to do some stuff with like geoblocking and distribution is tricky. And, and, you know, because like the films have to be geoblocked because yeah. otherwise just online. And it's essentially, you're essentially distributing the movie already through the festival but there's the more we can get these festivals out there the more we can get this uh this amazing time in the development of a movie where it's not released yet it's not distributed but it's done this is such a valuable time for filmmakers to learn i'm learning so much by how people are responding to this movie and the more people we can open that up to the better as far as i'm concerned Exactly, yeah. And uh, you mentioned uh, your, this upcoming project. Is there anything you can tell us about this one? Or is it, is it in the same sort of vein as survival skills or is it something completely different? It's, so it is, it is quite similar to survival skills. Um, it is on a different subject. Um, it is, so I'll, I'll give you the title. Um, it is called Dead Teenagers, um, which I'm- I, I'm on board. 
yeah, people have been trying to get me to change that. <laughs> I absolutely refuse to. Um, and it is a lot like survival skills in some of the metatextual stuff and like that. It's more in the world of like 80s teen slasher uh, movies. Um, stuff like Friday the 13th and, and all this stuff. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's probably about all I can I, w I, I would love to tell you more, but I think that's all. So you got you to keep us in suspense. Yeah, but it's, it's um, like survival skills is this sort of dance of like metatextual stuff with current events stuff. And, and it's a much, it's a very kind of cerebral movie and it's kind of a cold movie in a lot of ways. Dead Teenagers is a, it's violent, I think is what okay. I'm trying to say. It's much more violent. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, we'll we'll be uh, shooting that hopefully in April. Is the plan if we can get all the COVID stuff together? Okay, so shooting in April and then hopefully get it done in time for yeah. August or September for Fantasia. Yeah, that is a. Tight... I, I wish you luck. Well, I mean, survival skills. The post on survival skills took a year and a half, two years, because we were doing this VHS thing. Um, oh, we're not my. doing that with with this next movie. So I'm hoping. <laughs> God, post was a fucking nightmare. <laughs> I had to promise my editor that I'll never do that again. Okay, uh, have you have you kept one of the destroyed VHS uh, v uh, VCRs just as a as a keepsake? <laughs> I don't have the VCRs. I have um, so on regular VHS, I did a lot of tests, but the final output, the version that you know you're watching when you watch the movie. I did on Super VHS, which is just a more durable, higher quality version of VHS. And I had seven SVHS tapes. And uh, the movie was broken up into reels and they sort of repeated throughout the tapes. I have all of the seven original tapes. Um, that's kind of, my keepsakes are <laughs> those tapes. And then we shot one day in uh, the Mira Loma Detention Center, which, is uh, up north outside of LA. And they're allowing people to shoot there because they're converting it into an ice facility. Um, and so I, uh, I'm probably gonna get in trouble saying this. Um, so I, I, I went that. and I stole a bunch of shit. Like a, I took like rivets off of places and I just tried to fuck with it as much as I could because I don't I want, I'm going to slow them down just a tiny bit. And I have a rivet from uh, Mira Loma on my keychain. Uh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck ice. Um, uh, yeah. Quinn, it's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. There's still, uh, unfortunately, because you've said geoblock. So if I have any Canadian listeners, there's still a few days to catch, uh, Hopefully, if I get this out in time as well, there's still a couple of days to catch survival skills. But uh, is there, again, is there anything you can tell us about upcoming festivals or any anytime soon? Yeah. Or, or, or a distribution yeah. or release? I can, I can tell you a, a few things. Um, starting on the first, actually, we're playing uh, the Horrible Imaginings uh, Film Festival, which is a cool little genre fest in Southern California. Um, and I... I'm not sure if they're geo-blocked or if they're just doing like tickets or, or whatever the thing is, but you can check us out there. We're doing the Indie Street Festival, um, which is a New Jersey festival. I have, them, I have the festivals on my whiteboard here. Uh, that starts September 18th. Then we've got a, a pretty, pretty major uh, UK festival that I cannot name um, coming up at the end of October. 
We're going to be doing uh, a festival in uh, Sweden. We've got some European festivals. And uh, <laughs> again, I can't say much about it, but there is, it will, it will see the light of day. There will be a release and it's probably going to be before the end of the year. Perfect. And hopefully Hudson gets it for Fantastic Film Festival Australia in February next year. Get at it. That would be amazing. No worries, Quinn. Again, thank you very much for joining me today. This has been, uh, this has been an amazing chat. Thank you so much for joining me. And everybody, please check out Survival Skills at Fantasia or when you can at any of the festivals that Quinn just talked about. Thank you so much, Quinn. No worries. Thank you. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed it. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that. And another big thank you to both Fantasia Film Festival and Quinn Armstrong for giving me the opportunity to not only see survival skills, but also chat to Quinn about his incredible film. And if I have any Canadian listeners, there's still a couple of days to catch survival skills. But if you are not in Canada and want to keep up to date with the film, you can go to the film social pages to keep track of when and where it is playing. As Quinn said at the end of the interview there, it is about to play at some festivals across the US and the UK. So to keep up to date with that, you can follow their socials. Uh, they are on Instagram at survival underscore skills underscore movie. They are on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash survival skills movie. And they also have an official website, which is survivalskillsmovie.com. But I know we, we talked extensively, Quinn and I, about the film, but if you want to hear more from Quinn about the movie and even ask him a question yourself, Quinn will be doing a by popular demand Q&A for survival skills with the festival, and that will be happening tomorrow. This episode is dropping about around Tuesday afternoon on the 1st of September Australia time. So this will be happening in the US, on, uh, on the East Coast US, at 6 p.m., Tuesday. So that means for Australia, if people want to tune in, that will be at 8am on Wednesday morning. You can watch this uh, through the Zoom, through the actual Zoom call that they'll uh, put in. Fantasia will put uh, the links to that, I think, both in the Discord server and also on their social pages. But then also, there'll be you'll be able to watch it via uh, YouTube, like stream it live on YouTube, and then it will be put on their YouTube channel shortly afterwards. So make sure you get around that. 8am uh, for Australians, uh, 6 p.m. for East Coast uh, U.S. listeners, U.S. and Canadian listeners. So make sure you get around that and tune in to uh, to Quinn's Q and A. And hopefully, Quinn is eligible. He told me he's eligible for the Best First Feature Award, which I good luck to him in. Hopefully, he gets that, and hopefully, it continues my uh, ability of being a good luck charm to the filmmakers that have came on my program because I want to take a moment to congratulate uh, previous guest Alison Chorn, who's filmed The Plastic House, um, re just recently got selected for the New York Film Festival, which is fantastic. And she also won the Lottie Lyle Award, which from the South Australian Film Corporation, and she has been given $5,000 from the South Australian Film Corporation to help her complete her new documentary project, After Years, which she briefly talked about in my interview with her. So massive, massive congratulations to Alison. Uh, you really deserve it. The Plastic House is a fantastic film. And fingers crossed for you, Quinn, that uh, my hot streak can keep going. But enough of plugging other people. Let's start plugging ourselves. So you can subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on SoundCloud. We are on Apple Podcasts. Pretty much just wherever you get your podcast, just search 
for another Bloody Movie podcast and hit that subscribe button. You can look, you can follow our socials. You can like us on Facebook. Just search Another Bloody Movie Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at AB Movie Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Another Bloody Movie Pod. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, both at SeanHub underscore. That is S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore. You can also... You can also follow me on Letterboxd to catch up with every film that I don't review here on um, here on Another Body Movie Podcast. Um, so go to letterboxd.com forward slash Sean Coates and hit that follow button. Also read my written reviews and all my previous Fantasia coverage on moviebabble.com. As I said at the top of the show, I have reviews for Feels Good Man, Crazy Samurai Musashi, and The Old Man Movie. Also, a capsule review for Private Chat, or PVT Chat, as it is uh, spelt out in the poster, uh, coming very soon to Movie Babble as to finish off my Fantasia coverage. And also at Movie Babble, Nick and I recently recorded a podcast where we talked about pretty much every film that we saw at Fantasia. So every film that I didn't get to write a review for until after the recording when I realised I did not talk about um, Obayashi's uh, uh, final film, um, Labyrinth of Cinema, which I thought was absolutely fantastic. I forgot to mention that, but most of the films that we talked, that we saw at Fantasia, Nick and I did a podcast episode where we discuss and review those films. That will be dropping on the Movie Babble podcast feed in the coming days, so keep an eye out for that and go follow the Movie Babble podcast uh, if you don't already. Once again, another big thank you to Quinn Armstrong for the interview. Another massive, massive thank you for Fantasia Film Festival for letting me cover your incredible festival. I had an amazing time and maybe one day I will get to go all the way to Montreal and visit the festival physically. I think that would be amazing. And thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, we'll see you later. Bye-bye.